Well, some of you probably figured out by now the sermon's on solitude, right? Oh, that's what that was. But in that, it was probably less than 60 seconds. Where did your mind go? It went all over the place, didn't it? What in the world is he doing? What's everybody thinking about what's he doing? Is someone trying to text me right now? For those that are watching and live stream, they probably had a chance to get up and go to the refrigerator and get a Coke. Because <laughs> there's nothing going on. I got some time here. Isn't it interesting what happens with silence? Our mind doesn't stop, does it? It just keeps going. And it is so powerful. All of the things we think about, the questions we ask, the assessments we make, the, 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 the lists that, we've, that we pull out, just because we've got a little bit of time. We're talking about solitude this morning, and it's different than silence. Uh, but even in that 60 seconds, you realized how powerful silence is, didn't you? It just, our mind just keeps going. Solitude is a Christian solitude. The discipline of it is a discipline that goes past silence. Because in silence, we can squirm, can't we? I mean, remember your kids when they weren't focused on anything that they, they would just squirm? And you say, stop your squirming. Do you realize it's possible to squirm in our heads? There's that kind of squirming that takes place. And we just go from thing, one thing to another. All of these thoughts we have, and squirming isn't something that we simply do physically. Squirming is something we can do phys uh, mentally as well. We can squirm. Christian solitude is the capacity to move past squirming in our head and to focus on something and give our attention to it because our mind is such a powerful thing and it has all of this ability when focused to actually think about, work through, things that we couldn't work through if we didn't have the silence to do it. We've been in this series with those six words, able to discern what is best. It was Paul's prayer for the Philippians. It's God's longing for us to be still and to know that I am God. To find rest in God alone is actually one element of us being able to discern what is best to cease the squirming and focus and listen. Now in this prayer in Philippians chapter 1, Paul doesn't talk about this, but there is so much that's been written and so much that's been explored throughout the centuries from Christians in the value of solitude. And it's rooted in Scripture. We see it in many places. And we've talked about disciplines of prayer and the power that that has and of Scripture and a posture of surrender to God and about patience to learn how to listen to God over the months and the years of our life to be more effective at being able to discern what is best. But if we miss this one, this call to solitude, it is so much more difficult to discern what it is that God wants to say to us, to receive the gift He has for us. And so it's the reason why He calls us to these places that are quiet, still places for us. 
I want to look at four pieces of this discipline of solitude this morning that I trust will help you and me as we work through this ability, as we grow in our ability to be able to discern what is best. And the first place I want to start is with God's expectation. He actually expects us to take time of solitude. It's his instruction to us. In the English Standard Version in Psalm 62, the words actually are, my soul waits in silence. Just to wait with no other distractions and hear what it is that God wants to say to us. The rest that's described here, the silence that's described here, is solitude. It's a place of peace. It's a place uh, of, uh, where anxiety just trickles away, where deep contentment is even possible. And this call to us to solitude isn't because um, we're, in, in, we're sinners, <laughs> that we need it, it's, it's what it means to be human. Even Jesus, the Gospels tell us, it was his custom to go away to a quiet place and spend time with his Father. Now Jesus, in his perfection, understood the value of time with his Father to listen, to understand. If he, if he understood the importance of it, then it certainly must be important for us as followers of Jesus with the same Heavenly Father to, as a custom, go away and spend time in quiet. When I was in college, I worked, I was involved in a campus ministry organization. They actually referred to these, this discipline as the discipline of a quiet time. And the encouragement for us was to take a period of time in the midst of your day when you can think most clearly and give it to the Lord and just listen. And for me, it, it's in the morning. My mind just works better then. I'm more alert and able to listen and think. To so take time that's more than just simply reading a couple chapters in the Bible and, and getting my prayer list out, but to just, to just be with the Lord. and to, to rest there. And this is what God has for us. And David reflects, uh, reflects on the critical nature of it. In, in verse 1 he says, Truly my soul finds rest in God. What a great declaration. And it's there. This is that, this, this place of quiet with God. That's where my soul uh, comes to find rest. And then he talks about all of the challenges in his life with these people uh, hurling accusations and trying to knock him, his life over. And in verse 5, he says, Yes, my soul, find rest in God. <laughs> it's like in the midst of all of the difficulty and the challenge, he reminds his soul, Yep, get back to it. Get back to that place where you can find rest in God. And David realizes the value of this so much that he not only says it's true for his life, my soul finds rest in God alone, to a reminder to himself in the midst of life, find rest, O oh, my soul, in God alone. Till we get to verse 8 and we hear him actually exhorting his friends to do the same. Trust in him at all times, you people. Pour out your hearts to him, for God is our refuge. 
it is just such a critical dimension of what it means to manage the circumstances and the realities of life. To cease to squirm. To stop with the anxiety and to spend time with Him. We've been in Psalm 23 before and we realize in there that God, God takes us along and, it, and, and, and in Psalm 23 it actually says, He makes us to lay down in green pastures along quiet waters. He makes us do it because He knows it's so important to us to spend that time in solitude. You know, we do this for our kids, don't we? When they're young and we say to them, guess what, it is time for bed. To which our kids respond, I'm doing just fine, Dad. Bed, I'm doing great. And as parents, we actually know better. We know that it just can't continue that way. In spite of the fact that our kids think that everything's going to be okay, we say, no, it's time to rest. I say, I don't need it. Oh, but you do. And we know better. You know, we grow up, we're still kids. I'm doing just fine. And God says to us, no, actually you're not. It's time to rest. Don't need it. And God says, Oh, but you do. And kids respond to their parents oblivious to whether it really even matters or not simply because they're mom and dad. And God wants us to respond to him whether we think we know better or not because he's our father. And this is what he says to us. Dear child, you need to rest. You need to pull away and you need the solitude. That's his expectation. That's his call on us as his children and as our father. I want to talk just briefly about the challenge this is for us. I mean, I'm, I imagine it's been a challenge throughout all of time, but particularly in society today. I've been doing some reading. There are a number of articles that are out there. There are a number of books that are being published on just the deluge of information that is true in our society. In fact, there are some who are calling it an infoglut culture. And we've got appetites for it, actually. We want to know as much as we possibly can. Kenneth Gergen wrote a book and he called The Saturated Self, The Dilemmas of Identity in Contemporary Life. He talks about the saturation, social saturation. We want to be connected. We want to know everything that's going on. And we have such access to it today. We just pull out our smartphone or our, our, our computer and we can find it. And he talks about the social saturation that brings with it a great loss in our assumption of true, knowable self. To, to know who we are actually. He says this, the fully saturated self becomes no self at all. I don't know who I am. I'm connected to that person. I know about this. I, I, I've got Facebook friends, and I don't even know who I am. We, we actually can become numb with the information and the connectivity that is true in our life. 
Someone else has talked about the impact of the internet and said this, our use of the internet involves many paradoxes, but the one that promised to have the greatest long-term influence over how we think is this one. The net seizes our attention only to scatter it. That's what happened, doesn't it? I want to know that. I want to hear that. I want to read that article. I want to find out what's going on there. And it seizes our attention only to scatter it in all of these different ways. In fact, there are people that are actually saying that with all of this information, with this capacity to digest information or not really digest information with the, in, the, in the age we're in, it actually is reprogramming our brains. This frenetic sense of I've got to know more and this scattered sense of being able to focus on anything. Nicholas Carr writes a book called The Shallows, what the internet is doing to our brains. We just flit from one thing to the next. Todd Glitton says in an article, Media Unlimited, how the torrent of images and sounds overwhelms our lives. He quotes a psychotherapist who says this about teens and other young adults, that they have a terrific interest in knowing what's going on in the lives of their peers, coupled with a terrific anxiety of being out of the loop. If they stop sending messages the psychotherapist says, they risk becoming invisible. And no one wants to be invisible. And yet we pick up this book that God has provided for us and it actually encourages us to embrace the discipline of invisibility. To just pull away from it all and to reflect again on who we are. Not who we're friends with and what our friends are doing, but actually find out again who we are. Find rest, O my soul, in God alone. To be still and to know that he is God. And it's more than just this theological reference catalog of the characteristics of God but it's actually be connected with him to know he's God and to know whose we are. Do you see, it's, it's just so difficult in this culture and one understands that the Christian perspective of meditation, which is not emptying one's mind but purposing it, is so vital for us to remember who we are. What is the impact of it? We see the impact of solitude. And this is the third thing I want to address briefly here. Is that um, God becomes our source of rest. And we need rest. There's a stability that comes from it. And we even know this physically, don't we? When we're not rested, we know what it does to our dexterity. We know what it does to our ability to process emotions and circumstances in a clear way. We know what it does to our energy level. We know what it does to our sense of hopefulness. When we're exhausted, things get sideways really easy. A sense of rest for us physically is also connected with rest for us mentally and spiritually. That God wants us to be in a place that's characterized by dexterity. Be able to handle things, manage them well by hope, by clarity, and by energy. That's what God wants for us. 
Psalm 62, this is a prayer, really, that David has. And he's all, all out of words. There's a sense of quietness to this. It's as if the words have all been said, or perhaps there are no words that can come. And the issue of his life rests with God alone. My soul finds its rest because I got nothing more to say. My soul finds its rest in God alone. And what comes out of that, David describes, is this reality that in the midst of a life that is so easily thrown one way or another, it's possible to have a fortress in a rock. In fact, you'll notice in Psalm 62, he actually repeats this twice. Verse 2, truly he is my rock and my salvation. He is my fortress. I will never be shaken. And then he says the same thing in verse 7. My salvation, or verse 6. Truly he is my rock and my salvation. He is my fortress. I will not be shaken. Jesus actually refers to this in the Sermon on the Mount where he tells us this parable of a person who builds his house on the sand versus the person who builds their house on the rock. And in the trials and difficulties and weather of life, the house built on a sand, on the sand, completely falls apart. It's the house that's built on the rock that remains. Jesus' call to us is to find our strength in him And where do we find it? By going to him. By being in his presence, in his presence alone. The impact is this. I shall not be moved. That's what it literally says there. I will never be shaken. I will never be moved. Interesting, isn't it, to notice that David describes a group of people that think he's a tottering wall in a a nearly uh, ready-to-collapse fence. And while I might look like my life is characterized by vulnerability, you might look at me and say, boy, he's about ready to fall over. David says, you know what, the reality is this. It might look that way, but I found a place of refuge in God, and I will not be moved. The world may see what appears to be vulnerability in my life, but there is a power unseen that my house is built on, my life is built on, when I go to God and I spend time with Him. There is a strength that is described here in this calling out that He says to invest in it. We didn't read verse 10, but if you go on to see the last part of verse 10, though your riches increase, do not set your heart on them. Don't set your heart on anything other than this, to rest in God. Invest in resting in God rather than any other riches. Dallas Willard in his volume, The Divine Conspiracy, has a chapter, and it's actually called this, Investing in the Heavens. (laughs) That's the chapter, Investing in the Heavens. In this chapter, he talks about two dangers to us that block our interaction with God, our ability to hear him, ability to discern what is best. Two major blockages to discerning what is best. And he described it as this, these desires that we have. The first is a desire for the approval of others. 
And when I come away and I'm all by myself, I can't manage your perspective on me. I'm not focused on anybody else. I'm in solitude and I cannot manage what you think of me. But that desire, that desire to be approved of by other people is a powerful thing and it keeps me from hearing what God has to say in my life. The other desire we have is to secure ourselves by means of material wealth. I just don't have time for this. My job, my, my, my necessity to uh, grow in, 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 in my, in my uh, uh, commercial success, whatever it might be, it just doesn't give me time in my schedule for this. Those two things, for you to be impressed by me and for me to be acquired enough to be okay, actually keep me from the rest God wants for me. So the question then is this, in the midst of me needing to live a life that's characterized by strength that comes from him alone, what is my heart set on? How I look? What I've got in the bank? Or my rock? What does that look like practically speaking? There's some habits that we can develop to assist us along the way. The practicalities of putting some time in our schedule that's quiet time. I found the discipline of turning the radio off and, and spending time in the, in, in the car as I'm traveling. I say, God, what do you want to say to me? What do I need to know about my life? What do I need to know about you? Rather than hearing what's happening most recently in ESPN. You just take those times away. Fasting is a remarkable discipline because it gives us a chance in the middle of the day, right? Oh, don't have to have lunch today. What can I do? Solitude. And what can we focus our attention on? Actually, Psalm 62 talks about that. He talks about God as his salvation. And this is a great uh, tool for us. We talk about the gospel, and we've got pictures around here that illustrate the characters of the gospel. What if we actually use them in solitude? God is good and beautiful. What if I take some time away from the noise of my life to focus on the reality of God's goodness and beauty? God, would you show me again your beauty? I'm just here. And I just want to be reminded again of your goodness and your beauty. God tells us the truth about our brokenness. To actually take time away from all of the noise and say, God, what part of my brokenness do you want me to pay attention to right now? And to just listen to a God who's kind enough to tell us that and then help us with it. In regards to the third dimension of the gospel, our salvation, that that God restores our relationship with him, that he's characterized by grace to the death of his son. God, remind me of your grace again. Remind me of the reality that you're not counting my sins against me. Remind me of the truth that you're my father and I'm your child and nothing will separate us from the love of Christ. And the fourth aspect of the gospel that God invites us in an adventure. God, what's the purpose for my life? What is it that you've called me to? When we pray that prayer that we're going to be praying in a few minutes while we take communion, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. What does it look like for me to be involved in that right now? And to just take time to do that. 
you know, my Bible reading, I'm reading through the Old Testament, and there are these, these instructions that God gives to his people you know, then in regards to what they do with their fields. And he says, every seven years, I want you to just let the fields not be used for anything purposeful. And those of you that are involved in gardening, you know what soil, what can happen to a soil when there's such demand placed on it year after year after year. You place demands on soil and it needs a rest, which is the reason why God put in a Sabbath, actually, for the, for the fields. In order that the soil could rest and it would be productive a year later. And the cycle of work and of rest was so important for the soil to actually work the way God made it to work. And that same principle is true for us in our life. We might say, oh, it's just so unproductive. Actually, it's ultimate productivity. Imagine that. To be unproductive actually is the most productive thing we can do. Solitude. Find rest, O oh my soul, in God alone. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you for your gracious love to us that you even call us to this, to get away and, and rest, God. Pray, Lord, that you'd help us to reconstruct our lives in such a way that we get that back. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.